Online school. It used to be optional if you were pursuing a college degree, but just like everything else in 2020, that has now changed. In this episode of 2020 Vision, we are going to be discussing how education has evolved during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of 2020 Vision. I'm your host, JT Wisterson. On Monday, March 16th, 2020, all University of Utah classes transitioned to a completely online format. Classes would remain fully online for the entire duration of the summer of 2020. After a long summer of evaluating and planning, the University of Utah decided to reopen campus for the fall 2020 semester. Only a limited number of classes would be held in person. Many classes stayed completely online, and some even shifted to a hybrid of both in-person and online classes. To get a better understanding for what learning online for the past nine months has been like, Elise Dunway spoke with Brock Bernstein, a senior at the U who struggles with arthritis, who offered up a unique perspective on how online school has impacted him. What were your thoughts when classes first moved online? My first thought was I was actually excited. I actually during my sophomore year, somehow developed arthritis in my right leg. It's a very, very uncommon, rare genetic disorder. It's something I have to take anti-inflammatories for every single day, at least once a day, if not twice, it's hurting extra. And so that's physically one of the simplest problems. So just getting onto campus alone is a problem. My girlfriend has to work And that means she has to take the car that we share fairly often. And my only way of getting up there is by means of the tracks. Going to sleep and waking up tends to be when it's like the most cramped up, difficult to walk on. So it was especially difficult during the last semester, getting up early in the morning, just trying to grab some food, eat that super quick so I could at least take my medicine before I left. But it was still like I could feel, the best way I can describe it is almost like you're feeling pressure where there shouldn't be. Like there's a lack of oil between gears. That's kind of what it feels like, but with your bones instead. How has online learning evolved from March when it first started to now? Ironically, I don't think it's changed much at all. I took a summer course. I've been taking summer courses. And this, the one I took over the summer is almost identical in terms of how it is with almost all my other classes. It feels like most professors have not adapted much. I think in the case of the class I'm taking where we're doing podcasts, the professors aren't a pretty good job of recognizing that people are still taking time to work on things, to set up interviews, that things are a bit more difficult. I think having a professor who's very open to reorganizing schedules and figuring things out is very helpful. On the one hand, I think this forces me to be more connected with some of my fellow students than it normally does. But at the same time, it's a little frustrating. It feels like this should be a lot more intuitive than it is. But I can understand where the difficulty is in some of the professors trying to do a learning environment that they haven't had to do before. You brought up an interesting point and something I wanted to touch on about the connection between classmates. Do you think that it's easier to connect with them online versus in person? And is that social aspect something that you think is, you know, necessary in education or helpful in education? 
I think it's a fantastic question, actually. For me, I normally just have a tight-knit group of friends that I like to stick with for the most part. It's hard for me to get outside of my comfort zone, usually. I think it's easy for me to talk with people, but more often than not, I'm just mostly making play conversation. I can ask them about assignments and things, but that's about it. But so in the case of online classes, I think it's a really cool situation where somehow you kind of meet people halfway because you are at home usually. And so I think it's a really great experience for some people who maybe don't have that same energy that others do, who don't have the same amount of time. And the same is true for everyone, where they are all at home. They're all kind of in their own space. And I think people are a lot less afraid of being judged for the most part. Worst comes to worst, you turn off your camera because you need to take care of something or your mic, you mute for a moment. And so it's cool that I can mute and have this ability, like this control still. So even if there's so much to be inconvenience in the class, I can still kind of control that. How is online learning different from in-person learning? I think the biggest difference with online learning is it hits a point where truly, I think for one of the first times, it is completely up to me in how I want to go about learning in the class. As well as, on the other hand, I think it's a far easier way to get distracted. And it's far more up to the person attending the class to make sure they are actually attending the class. I have seen people who join up with the class, are there for like the first five, 10 minutes, mute, turn off camera, and then go take a nap or watch something on TV. I'll start this off easy. I have ADHD. I have a very bad problem with an attention deficit. So literally, normally in classes, it's very hard for me to sit still. It's very hard for me not to want to take my phone out or to distract myself. But I've had classes where the professor will specifically say, if I see you doing that, I will take points off of your grade. Whereas here, I'm able to put on maybe some lo-fi music in the background, and that helps me focus. Or I'm able to even just like play a little tower defense game or something like that, you know, like coolmathgames.com, throw something up there. I mean, that's not what I'm doing, but I'll, I'll just, for argument's sake, throw that one out there. But yeah, just like a simple something in the background to kind of help me stay interested in my computer so I'm not completely taking myself away, but enough so that I also don't feel like I'm immediately losing interest. The biggest thing for me that I've really enjoyed with this format and I think this is a very important thing and a big difference with online learning is the changes to quizzes and tests for the most part that I've taken in my classes. I, if I'm being honest, think that the test structure is very archaic, that you are literally in an age where you have a smartphone in your pocket and service almost anywhere you go. It seems really ridiculous to me that you go into a room or again, you still have this, this thing is still on you. And someone says to you, you can't look at that. Now tell me who was X person who did Y thing. And when you ask, well, why do I need to know that? Just off the cuff, like, why do I, why do I need to know that off the top of my head? Well, I say, you know, in case in the real world, like, you mean the, the real world where I can 
ask someone, call someone, look it up online. It blows my mind. The tests are still the same way they are. And so I think something good that has come about of these online classes is a lot of professors acknowledge there's a lack of control. And so distraction is one thing, but with online resources, it begs the question, why wouldn't a student use those? They have it all there at their fingertips. They can open up the textbook, put it in another tab, hit control F for the search function and look up the exact phrasing. And to me, I think that's a very important thing is that some people might say that that's just stupid, that you're just straight up cheating. But I think it's a difference, right? Is you still have the lectures, you still have these different things to reinforce what you're learning and to add on to it, you taking this quiz reinforces, it shows you know how to search it. And I think it would be great if it hit a point where you could just kind of, you know, like phone a friend, bring them in for that. But jokes aside, legitimately, I think working with a group makes far more sense to me because there are very few jobs, I feel like, where it's a common thing to be completely isolated and without any access to some source of information. What challenges does online learning present? I think there's a few different things. Ironically, I think that is where that, that element of comfort can kind of be a downfall. I think it's very easy to slack off or to get distracted. But I do live with my girlfriend and we live in a small apartment. So it's very hard for us not to just kind of run into each other on a daily basis. It's very easy for us to get distracted and kind of start talking to each other. Uh, so I think that's probably the base disadvantage that comes to mind. Otherwise, I don't know, again, I think the only other thing is that you can kind of just turn off your camera mute and no one will really be the wiser. I know that's a problem necessarily, but I think for professors that can be a source of frustration is some people have bad internet quality and need to turn off their cameras and mics to be able to hear at least. But then how do they know if that's the case all the time and, you know, so on and so forth. What do you think could improve online learning? I honestly think it's a combination where professors kind of need feedback from students. I think it's always very difficult to tread that line of a professor who can be very knowledgeable about a subject and maybe have some trouble teaching it. But at the same time, that's, I don't think that makes it worse. I just think that's one of those things that is probably the difficulty of being online is it's something that's hard to give feedback about and it's hard to better communicate with a professor sometimes because you're not there in person. The university canceled fall break and then they also canceled spring break. I'm wondering what do you think the pros and cons are of canceling fall break and spring break? So correct me if I'm wrong but I think there's a super long winter break to to make up for that. I think that's pretty nice. The problem is, one of the big cons that comes to my mind immediately, and it's something I'm experiencing right now, and I think a lot of people are, is a large sense of burnout, where this has become a very repetitive schedule, just week after week of classes. And to me, it's just a little frustrating, because you're falling to the schedule and expected to do the same thing over and over and over. And it can be very difficult for a lot of people that you're suddenly put into a new schedule you're expected to stick with it. And at the very least, normally somewhere in the middle, you get time to relax, to kind of recuperate and have some time to yourself. 
but we didn't get any of that this semester so far. And so it'll be nice to have an extra long winter break and come back with almost a full month of time away. I think that'll really help with the experience of burnout because that's a ton of time to take off. But at that same time, I think that's the big problem right now is it, instead of feeling like I'm hitting the end of the semester full steam ahead, it feels like I'm losing steam as I go. How has the pandemic affected your education? Ironically, it hasn't affected it that much. I think there's not huge differences. Again, for me, it makes things actually easier. Is And now this can go back to the fun part at the beginning of all that stuff I mentioned between having a physical disability and through that disability, a weakened immune system. The two are kind of intertwined. That's how I got the arthritis was a weakened immune system. For me, ironically, I do not want to go out to large groups of people and I don't want to go long distances. And normally to attend university, I have to do both. And now I'm able to still do a lot of the things that normally I would want to do while I'm on campus. That if I need to take a walk, if I want to stretch my legs, I have the ability to take a walk around, you know, my general area. There's still places I can go and I think that's great. And I think for a lot of people, it's a very important thing is there's much more convenience and an addition of safety almost in the fact that I am able to just get up and attend class. And it makes things, I guess the big word is for how this changed my education is for me personally, it actually made it much more convenient. Is there anything you want to add that I haven't touched on? Goodness, I feel obligated to do this because this is a topic that I worked at the Utah Chronicle for a bit, and it was also for October Safety Month. It's something I feel very passionate about, and now that I'm not officially part of some group that I could reflect poorly on, something that has run me the wrong way a lot is how the campus deals with safety. Something I've talked about and been talked to about a tremendous amount through my work reporting on some of the events that happened is a general lack of action that there are very few people who are listened to. There's very few things that get resolved. And generally the people who are taken into account and listened to and the campus police or someone else takes care of are almost always white men. And you might say that whatever you want about that. But she said, and I spoke with someone who she said she was coming out of class with a friend of hers, a guy friend who she met in the class. The two of them lived pretty close. They carpooled pretty often and they were walking back towards his car. He said, don't look back, but I think there's someone following us. And suddenly the footsteps, they start to come closer. And so the two of them, without even looking, break into a sprint. And when they look back, they see there is someone who is behind them that they could barely see because of the lights, poor lighting, late at night. And they are running towards the stadium. They're literally making just a dead sprint to the car. They make it in. And both of them, both a male student and a female student, call the campus police. She calls them and explains the situation. And something has to be done about that because there's no way someone should be allowed to do that and get away with it. But they say, we're sorry, there's nothing we can do. It took place a few hours ago. 
we don't know who is there. We can't, you know, so on and so forth. The guy also called them and he was listened to immediately. They said they would send someone out. They said they would check it out. The time that they called was fairly similar. And yet for seemingly no reason beyond just gender, they listened to that guy. And that was something that I think was a very large problem that online classes can help eliminate is there's a lot of situations where someone who is in the minority or who is able to be targeted in that sense, that for me, even though I am concerned about any of those things happening to me, I recognize it's very unlikely that my physical disability is nearly impossible to see. So it's not like people would target me because of that. And otherwise, I am a six-foot-tall, 21-year-old white guy. So that difference to me is very important, right? That's a very important distinction to make, is I can't even pretend to know what it's like to be a woman walking around campus at night or what it's like to be someone who is in the minority, who could be discriminated against, who could be hated for some reason, knowing within their control. And to have someone target you for that, and then that onto it, to not have anyone on your side to help you or to protect you. And so I think it's, uh, if nothing else, a good thing that a lot of situations like that can be avoided because you kind of cut out the middleman, is you don't have to risk running into those people. You don't have to risk being out late at night like that. And again, that doesn't mean that every time you go out in person, you're going to get attacked by someone. But I think being able to tell someone if you feel unsafe you have the ability to stay online and still learn just as well as anyone else is very, very important. As Brock discussed, the transition to online school has not been bad for everyone. Less students on campus means less students in danger of attacks like the ones Brock's friends experienced. With some classes not requiring lecture attendance, students are able to complete school work at a time that best fits their schedule in environments they are very comfortable in. Online learning is a two-sided coin with the relationship between student and professor being paramount to a successful online classroom. Elise gave us the student's perspective, and Ivana Martinez has the professor's. On March 11th, the Daily Utah Chronicle announced the University of Utah's preemptive closure and transition to online classes. This came after Governor Herbert had declared a state of emergency in Utah after the third case had been confirmed in the state. Schools across the nation were closing campuses and heading online in an attempt to stop the spread of COVID-19. A temporary fix became a semi-permanent solution as COVID cases continued to rise. Now, the University of Utah, alongside other educational institutions, announced it would be keeping an online format for the unforeseeable future with small percentages of classes in person. For students and faculty alike, there have been challenges in adjusting to this online format, as some have come to call it Zoom University. Whether it be changing entire curriculums to fit an online format or adjusting to several hours of screen time, there has been an educational reckoning on all fronts for both students and educators. Associate Professor of Communications Kimberly Mangan shared her experience with the transition back in March and how she's keeping up now because the, sh the shift was so abrupt. I mean, we were, we were on spring break and, you know, I just remember, I think it was the, 
what was the 10th or 11th March where, you know, I just got bombarded with emails. Um, everybody at the university level was trying to figure out what to do, you know, and then it was like each email kind of clarified or altered the one before, you know. And then I think when the reality hit, you know, on March 12th or March 13th, it was just, wow, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make this still a, a wonderful learning experience for students with two days to shift online, you know? And it just, it was so overwhelming to, to think about how, how to do this, you know, and how to salvage the semester and make it good and meaningful and viable and not frightening and, you know, all of those kinds of things. Of course, we had the earthquake right after that, <laughs> which, um, you know, kind of further threw some loops into things. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was difficult. For Professor Mangum, her first concern was her students. How would they get the help they need? How could she reach out? What could she do to assist in this process? Um, I was, you know, just really reaching out as much as I could. I mean, I would spend two hours on phone calls with individual students, just trying not just to help them finish up the semester, but just making sure they were okay. I mean, there were a lot of times where we didn't even talk about my individual classes. It was, you know, do you have internet? Do you have family support? Do you have friends? Do you have loved ones nearby? Are you in touch with those people? Are you you know, getting the medical support you need or the physical or emotional, you know, all those sorts of support levels. Um, you know, are you getting help from other professors, you know, or have they kind of checked out because they were just so overwhelmed by everything? You know, did you have damage from the earthquake? I mean, literally, I was just, you know, phone call after phone call after phone call with students in my two classes, just making sure that everybody was okay. And, so, you know, quite literally, I didn't think much about me other than the fact that I had to stay home, you know, I mean, everybody was on lockdown then. Personally, it was because, like you say, we did not know really a lot about the pandemic early on, right? We didn't really understand the, the virus. We didn't understand a lot about transmission. There were so many things that we just didn't understand. I mean, there were just so many conversations that you know, I'm not a trained counselor, but so much of what I did in March, April, May, you know, involved that is just, just trying to listen to students and help as best I could, just either listening or referring, you know, to other sources and resources. After teaching for so many years in a lecture hall filled with students and working with them face to face, Professor Mingan had to reimagine what her classes would look like in an online format in such a short period of time spent five days a week throughout the summer trying to prepare my classes and trying to reimagine my classes. And I ended up completely revising both of my fall classes. So basically it was like two brand new preparations of classes that I essentially had not taught before, right? Because they were online and I had never taught them online before. And so how do I do this? And that, that entailed everything from rethinking readings, to rethinking delivery of content, to rethinking how I connect with students, to how I convey information, to how do I maintain regular communication with students in an asynchronous class. 
Um, it's easier, of course, if you're in a synchronous class and you have, you know, a Zoom meeting once a week or something, but the history class became asynchronous. You know, and so much, we didn't know so many things even over the summer, right? We didn't know if we were going to be in June. We didn't know if, if everything was going to be great in August. Um, and there was just so, un so many unknowns. And the university, of course, was trying in the beginning, like probably every other university across the country and maybe around the world, you know, we're trying to figure out what to do and how to prepare and sort of, you know, multiple plans of attack. If this, then that. And if not that, then what, you know? And, and so even at the university level here, you know, it came down through the College of Humanities and then through the Department of Communication, just trying to figure out what we were going to do. And um, at first we were aiming for a certain percentage of in-person classes and that kept changing and changing and changing. You know, it was like 80% or something or 75% in the beginning and then it would be 70 and 60 and, you know, 50 and 40. And so along the way, you know, my, my individual concerns about being in a classroom and how to navigate and negotiate being in a large lecture hall changed to how do I reconceive or reimagine my classes in this online space? Two of my three classes that I typically teach are lab classes, right? They're in the lab, close contact with students. So I, I already knew that my reporting classes were going to have to go online. I mean, that was just kind of a foregone conclusion. What I didn't know was what was going to happen with the large lecture history class you know, because it could have been maybe held in a, you know, whatever, 300 person lecture hall or something with everybody distanced or something, right? But then that became a problem too, because so many classes needed those big spaces. And we just literally ran out of room, you know, to try to distance everybody. Professor Mingham thinks that with the right tools, students can have a similar learning outcome. Yes, the format has changed. Yes, Learning looks different online, and perhaps you don't see your professor, but she says it's really about what students and faculty put into these classes that makes these experiences work. Perfect world, perfect setting. I think it is possible for students to get a similar education. It may not be the same as, you know, sitting in class and interacting with peers and interacting with a faculty member real time. But I think depending on how a Canvas course is set up and how a faculty member approaches the Canvas course and approaches the content, I think it can be done. I think you can still have a meaningful experience. I think what has to happen are, are at least two things. Number one, I think that students need to take it seriously and not feel like it's kind of like a poor alternative or a knockoff or a, a lesser than experience. So I think that they have to take it seriously. And, and along with that, if you normally were going to be in class in a lab for four hours a week on a certain time schedule, then you have to stick to that time schedule and say, okay, on Mondays and Wednesdays, I would have been in this class from 10 a.m. to noon, and those are the days and the hours that I'm gonna to commit to those readings for that particular class or watching those videos or doing the discussion or whatever. And I'm finding that 
not all students, but a lot of students I think are feeling cheated and they're feeling like they're getting a lesser education and they're letting that sort of discipline slide. And then they're you know, behind on things. And once you get behind, it's really hard to play catch up. And then you start missing assignments and then you know two and three weeks will go by and they'll want something reopened and it just now that we're a little more than halfway through the semester it's starting to catch up i think for some folks who haven't been quite as disciplined those students are telling me that they think that they do better in a classroom i would maybe argue that that's not necessarily the case that that's maybe what we would like to think but when i look out in a large lecture hall and i see half the students missing on any given day that may be a little disingenuous you know um if you're there every day that that's one thing but you know i never see 60 faces out there every single day even though students are paying for my knowledge and paying for that seat in the classroom and that opportunity to be educated you know i mean i feel very very strongly about the fact that not everyone has the ability to be educated whether you know through high school or as as um as a college student right i mean that really is quite a quite a privilege that we have to be able to be educated and if you're paying for it you got to show up <laughs> you know whether it's online or in person you got to show up and you've got to be a participant in your own knowledge production creation assimilation process Professor Mingham would like students to know that they're not in this alone. She knows it's a collective experience that everyone is going through and that it's not easy. You know, I think as a human being, I think just to understand that, that we're all in this together, right? I mean, every single person has been touched by this pandemic in some way, shape, or form, some of us more than others. Um, everybody I know has, has had something terrible happen to them this year. I mean, literally everybody I know. You know, my neighbor, whom we are very close to, died two weeks ago, and yet I'm still having to teach, and I'm still having to get up every day, you know, and, and to try to keep everything together, you know, for me, for my family, for my students, you know, it's, there's no option, there's no time, there's no ability to get off this roller coaster. For students like Mark Draper, who juggles school, work, and other responsibilities, this semester was a bit overwhelming, and that led them to a different path than they had thought they were going to go on. Yeah, well, I actually, uh, I ended up withdrawing from most of my classes. Um, I think it was tough. I uh, I really thrive off social interaction and seeing people and not having that every day. And really just more specifically just being in my room all day, I think pretty quickly got old and started to wear on my mental health, I suppose. I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but it gave more momentum to my my bad moods, I guess. There was there was less things in my day, in my weeks to distract from when I wasn't feeling great and to to uh, break things up. It was, uh, I don't know, death by a, a thousand cuts, you know. 
I guess I just got to a point where those Zoom classes and all those sneaky online assignments were, weren't really working for me. Although Mark has struggled with online school, dealing with his mental health, work, school, and other responsibilities, he says students aren't the only ones who face these challenges. Often teachers are at a disadvantage as well. In our assessment of how education is, is doing in this virtual schooling world, I, I think it's important to remember the teachers too are also at their wits end. With that in mind, I, I mean, this is new for everybody and uh, everybody's having a, a tough time or has had a, had a tough time. This almost seems unavoidable with online school. I uh, best hope, I guess, is just uh, as we get used to it, being able to to cope with it better. But again, like it, with it being new for everybody, I can't imagine what uh, what resources would alleviate like that. This has been Ivana Martinez for Twenty Twenty Vision. It's important to remember that teachers are dealing with many of the same issues students deal with on a daily basis. It's hard to know when we will be able to go back to the classroom without masks and the fear of COVID, but if students and teachers continue to work together to make online learning the best it can be, then students will be able to continue to learn and grow on their way to a college degree. Production of this episode was made possible by the University of Utah's Department of Communication and Maria Chaleos Nelson. Special thanks to Brock Bernstein, Mark Draper, and Associate Professor of Communications, Kimberly Mingham, for sharing their experience with online school. The interview was conducted by Elise Dunway. Special reporting was done by Ivana Martinez. Social media promotion was done by Jacob Rueda. And production of this episode was done by J.T. Wistersill. Join us next time on 2020 Vision as we discuss how activism has changed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on 2020 Vision.